Happy Monday, Pulse Check listeners. You got an hour back yesterday when daylight savings time ended. The return of the morning sun hopefully makes it easier to get rolling today, but it'll probably be dark when you leave work tonight. Be safe out there. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Here's what I'm following this week. Pfizer and BioNTech announced positive top-line data on their bivalent boosters last week. The company said in a clinical trial, people who received the newer bivalent booster as a fourth shot had substantial increases in antibodies capable of neutralizing the BA4 and BA5 subvariants of Omicron, compared to those who received an original booster as a fourth shot. The difference was most profound in adults 55 and older, who are also at an elevated risk of developing severe COVID. This matters because COVID isn't going anywhere anytime soon, and the Biden administration is encouraging Americans to get boosters ahead of a feared winter surge. However, booster uptake hovers around 9% two months after they were first offered to people aged 12 and up. The CDC provided an update Friday on the status of other respiratory viruses circulating across the country as cases of flu and RSV rise as temperatures drop. Don O'Connell, Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, said that the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response is closely monitoring hospitals across the country for surges. It's ready to deploy additional personnel and supplies if needed. And when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade this summer, it punted the issue of abortion access to states. Now we're one day out from Tuesday's midterms where abortion is on the ballot directly and indirectly in races for governor, attorneys general, ballot measures, and legislators. Megan Messerly is closely following all of this. Okay. What are some of the governor races that you're watching tomorrow? Some of the states I'll be keeping a close eye on, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Michigan. These are states where the governor could have a really key role in shaping the future of abortion access. So let's take, for example, Arizona, where Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, is facing off against Carrie Lake, the Republican. So right now, abortion is legal up to 15 weeks in Arizona. That's because the state has this pre-row ban that prohibits abortion starting at conception that is on hold right now in the courts. So that's working its way through the court system. But at the same time, the next governor will have a really key role through, you know, signing any legislation the legislature might pass. They could have a key role to play through issuing executive actions. Like, let's say, for instance, Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, wins. We've seen Democratic governors across the country in the wake of Rose Fall issue these executive actions saying, No doctors will be prosecuted for providing abortion services. You know, residents won't be prosecuted. We're not going to extradite people. So we've really seen Democratic governors, even when they're in states with Republican legislatures, sort of issue these policies using their executive authority to sort of shape the future of abortion access in those states. So that's a really key example of where the governor could could sort of play this immediate role, even as the issue remains tied up right now in the courts. And can you talk about a little bit more about like what attorneys general races, like what kind of impact those might have on abortion access? Definitely. So we've seen, you know, attorneys general play a really important role in the wake of the fall of Roe. Like I'm thinking, for example, two states that come to mind, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call, he's a Democrat. He's actually filed a lawsuit challenging the state's own abortion ban. Um, abortion right now is not legal in Wisconsin under a pre-Roe ban. 
But he actually, as a Democrat, is filing a lawsuit challenging the state's own law. So that's one example of where an attorney general can have a really important impact. And I would say on the flip side, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita, a Republican, has been sort of investigating abortion providers in Indiana. Right now, abortion is actually legal in Indiana. The legislature passed a new abortion ban this summer, but right now that's on hold under a court pause. But the attorney general there we've seen has actually um, been, uh, there was a lawsuit where an Indiana doctor, you know, alleged that the attorney general is basically using his authority to investigate her. So we've seen sort of these two different ways where attorneys general can really play an important role in abortion access. Democratic candidates in Arizona, Georgia, Kansas, and Texas are trying to flip those seats. And then incumbents in tight races in Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, and Wisconsin, those are all Democrats as well, are trying to fend off their GOP challengers. So really interesting to see how those races play out because again, like people may not think about their state attorneys general as playing these key roles, but they really do have a lot of authority when it comes to sort of shaping these policies at the state level. Yeah, it seems like there are a lot of factors at play. I know you've also been paying attention to a lot of legislative races at the state level. Can you tell me about a few of those? Yeah, so the the one I'd really like to highlight is the North Carolina General Assembly. So right now, the General Assembly, that's the name of, that's what they call their legislature, is controlled by Republicans. But the reason why this legislature is so key to watch this cycle is that if Republicans pick up two seats in the Senate and three in the House, they would have this three-fifths veto-proof majority needed to override one of the governor's vetoes. And it's worth noting, the governor in North Carolina, of course, is Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. He's very supportive of abortion rights. But if Republicans pick up these five seats in the legislature, which they think they have a pretty good shot at doing, the governor's veto pen wouldn't mean anything anymore. So this is where we see sort of <laughs> these legislative races can be really key in sort of shaping uh, what future legislation um, the states might pass. And I mean, I guess the other level of this is at the state Supreme Court level, where I think some states are able to actually elect their Supreme Court justices, right? So does that play a factor into your coverage as well and and abortion access as well? Definitely. So all these areas we've been talking about, whether it's legislatures passing these laws, governors signing them, executive actions, suits brought by Democratic attorneys general, all of these cases, in most cases, unless they're being challenged in federal court, which right now, these are mainly being challenged in state court, um, a lot of these issues are going to come before state Supreme Courts. And like you mentioned, there are many states that elect their high court justices. North Carolina's Supreme Court, it's a very intense contest this year and could determine the sort of partisan makeup of the court for years to come, which again, in light of what we talked about with the legislature potentially getting a veto-proof majority, you know, we could only anticipate that those laws would probably eventually make their way to the state Supreme Court at some point. Other important races, Ohio has some key state Supreme Court races Michigan, Montana. Montana's court has actually found um, a right to abortion in the state's constitution, but we've seen courts like Iowa's Supreme Court has, you know, undone its prior rulings. So even though a Supreme Court has found a right or not found a right in the past, it can obviously change its mind. And then Kansas is actually super interesting as well this year because they have these retention elections uh, and some folks are anticipating that a prior decision they made on abortion is sort of factoring into those races as well. 
There you have it from state healthcare reporter extraordinaire, Megan Messerly. Thank you so much, Megan. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Catherine. Reporter Alice Miranda Olstein just got back from reporting in Kentucky. Here she is with the dispatch from Louisville. I am covering a abortion vote that's coming up on Tuesday that's really gone under the radar, especially compared to some of the big ones in Michigan and California and other states. Abortion is currently banned here in almost all circumstances, but if progressives are able to defeat this proposed constitutional amendment, they then are set up for a potential court win that could get those bans struck down. What makes you want to vote no on this? So I want to vote no, mostly because I don't want that choice that we've always had to go away. And I don't want 80-year-old rich white men deciding what we're going to do on a daily basis. That's very offensive. I went out to shadow some canvassers with the campaign that's trying to defeat this proposed constitutional amendment. And we went out to the Louisville suburbs, which are more swingy, sort of a battleground state. They're also um, places where the control um, in on the local state representative front could flip this year, you know, potentially because of this abortion vote and how it motivates people. Kathy, would you mind sharing your last name? Blair. B-L-A-I-R? Yeah. My name is Mary. Katie. So I'm 70. Okay. So if you want to know that. <laughs> and there I found that people are extremely fired up against this proposed amendment. I just had a situation with a really good friend that was pregnant, but it wasn't a viable fetus. She started to miscarry. And I met her over at the emergency room. And I mean, not to be too much information, but I mean, there was blood everywhere. And thank God at the hospital, this lady doctor was like, I'm going to have to film a little bit of what your situation is right in here. And then you're going to the operating room for a DNC. And I'm like, what would have happened? What would have happened to her? And so that made me re-mad. I think Kansas woke everyone up and it was like, whoa, you know, and I mean, if Kansas says no, you know, so I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful um, around it. There has been no public polling on this amendment fight, meaning the outcome is really up in the air. What we can look to is what people are saying. I think one data point is that the pro-abortion rights side has raised way, way, way more money than the anti-abortion side. And that's allowed them to buy a lot more TV ads and and uh, get their message out. And so they are hoping for a repeat of the Kansas victory, but it's completely unknown. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmet is the executive producer of Audio at Politico. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. We have Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thank you for listening.